0: Thank you, Manny, for that reading. Uh, if you'd like to, you can actually open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. Before we do, I'd like to pray. And then before I use words in my prayer, I'd like to leave some space uh, for listening. We're in a season of listening at Grace. Grace couple weeks ago we talked about that as one of the fundamental things we do as people who want to learn from Jesus, how to live in love like Jesus, is to be people who listen. And then last week will went through the entire narrative of scripture to show us, remind us that we serve a God who speaks. And so we're going to take some space to listen. And then I'll pray and then we'll get into the word. Lord God, thank you for being the God who speaks. Help us to be people who listen, who listen to your word this morning, who listen to you through the conversations that we have with your people, with our friends. Thank you for the ways that you speak through different moments or surprises, events in our lives. And help us, again, to listen well. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to do this practice of listening, even taking space in the service to do it, uh, again, I'm continually reminded how few spaces there are for that to actually happen. Uh, For the silence or the um, opportunity to listen to what God might have. Often, even through the, the things that he might be saying to me as embodied people, our minds wander and so that says something about where our minds are and how God might be speaking to us. We might feel certain things about our bodies that are surprising. I just turned 40, and so my body's telling me a lot of things that it never told me before. Uh, and, uh, but these are all opportunities for God to speak in our lives, through our lives. If we have the space, take the risk to listen. So we're going to talk about this morning the things that might get in the way of our listening. Again, we talked about how listening is a fundamental posture to our learning from Jesus, how to live and love like Jesus. God is a God who speaks. We are people who listen, but there are things in our lives that get in the way. And Jesus tells this parable in Luke 8 and also in Mark and in Matthew about listening and about hearing and he tells this story because that's what Jesus did to often get, or get at some certain things regarding the kingdom of God. He told this story about a sower, some seed, and some soils. So there's going to be an image that I'm going to leave up for a lot of the time. It's a, it's a painting by Van Gogh called The Sower. And it's an image that highlights a person who is casting seeds with hope that they will one day bear fruit. Now, if you're at Luke 8, we're going to start with this parable, and we're going to look at some of the different things that function in this parable that then cause us to reflect and consider on our own lives. So the first thing that we're going to listen for as we look through this parable is the emphasis on hearing and on listening. So if you want, Luke chapter 8... When it started, verse 4. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it, and some fell into a good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. And as he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears to hear. Listen. And then we know how the parable goes as he begins to to pick it apart and to describe to the disciples what what he's wanting to do with this story. That it's, of course, about the word of God and about how people hear and respond to that word. But before that, I want us to take a moment and consider the sower. So, the sower is somebody who went out to sow his seed. Now, if you think about this parable, this was the most like inefficient way to actually sow his seed, the sower is just very reckless in where the seed is being thrown all over the place, on, on the rocky soil, um, on places on a soil where there's not going to get mu- much moisture, other soil where there's, where there's weeds growing, and then finally soil where there's going to be fruit that ends up growing. But the point is this: that it begins with the sower being reckless in a way generous, abundant with the Word, again reminding us of what Will talked about last week, that God is a God who speaks, and His Word is gracious and generous and abundant, and He shares it with, with utter abandon, because this is where the beginning of the Christian life, this is the beginning of the Christian life, recognizing that God is the one whose Word just goes forth, Because that is the type of God that we see in Jesus. A God who is gracious, who is abundant, and who wants to cast some seed onto the ground. And so that's where this parable begins. This sower who is very reckless in what he's planting. Because the word of God will go out, and it is reckless in the way that it goes out because God wants us all to hear And to receive Now another thing that this parable shows Is that that Jesus tells the story But then who are the people who gets to hear The interpretation The disciples As if to suggest if we want to know What Jesus is up to And what he's wanting to tell In the world We as his disciples need to remain close Because that is where the interpretations will be Again, it's this reminder of, of like we said two weeks ago, come and see, be near, dwell, because it is only there that we then discover what Jesus is wanting to say and wanting to do. So verse 9. So then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, Well, to you it it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and listening they may not understand. And now the parable is this. This seed is the word of God. Now the ones on the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Then the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe only for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares And riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for that and the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. And so a question that is being asked as we hear this parable is, what type of soil are you? And that is a question we can only ask and we can only interrogate about ourselves if we recognize again the goodness of the sower who is wanting to scatter seeds with utter abandon. And then we get to ask, okay, well, what kind of soil am I? Are we the first soil? So the first soil, of course, is the rocky ground. It's where seeds are scattered, and then we're reminded, oh, wow, well, we don't live in a neutral universe, that there are actual f- spiritual forces at play, and we see that the enemy, it's referred to, comes and, st- and picks up these seeds before they're actually able to take root and believe. It's a reminder, always, that our lives are somehow taken up into this grand story and narrative where there is God... Against the powers of the enemy, of the adversary, of sin, and of death. That we are not living in a world that is neutral, but things all the time are vying for our hearts, for our desires, for our affections. And so, this first soil, the seed, falls on the rocky ground, but it doesn't take root. It is actually picked up, and there's no opportunity to believe talks about a second soil. The second soil, the seeds fall in the soil, but there's no opportunity for moisture to actually permeate the ground. And so the roots don't actually go deep. It grows, but then it says, because of the testing of the world, the testing of events, our testing of our faith, it withers, it scorches, and it's dried up. I wonder if these are like the people who over time, though excited at first following Jesus, it's absolutely wonderful and amazing, come up against the real stuff of life. And their faith, their belief, their trust, isn't able to actually recognize this person named Jesus who wants to give them life. He is not what I need. There are these other things I need. Or I can't trust him. I instead begin to crumble under the weight of all of these questions or all of these doubts. And so that's one of my questions for you is, what are you holding, what are you carrying that might actually be preventing the moisture, the nourishment of Jesus, the waters of life the bread of life to nourish your heart, your soul, so that the roots may go down deep. What are you holding on to inside? What doubts, what questions are plaguing you that you feel like you need to hold on by yourself? Perhaps especially now in this time, since we're in such a fascinating moment in church history, it's easy To be a part of a community, and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I mean, pick a reason over the last two years, the world has given us a lot of them. Your faith begins to erode, and you begin to distance yourself from the people of God, from the community, and then slowly over time, you realize that being a part of a church or following Jesus was something you once did and you actually don't know why you don't anymore. That's withering. And I'm not sure there's a more frightening metaphor for what can happen to our faith than withering. Because it seems almost innocuous, something that you can't quite put your finger on, you just know that it has happened. That's the second soil. Now, the third soil, of course, is the, the seeds actually go into the ground. They actually grow. And it's wonderful and it's remarkable and it's amazing, but then it grows alongside these weeds, or these weeds then begin to grow alongside of it. And then the verb here that the Bible uses is that they are choked out. The, the good growth is choked out by the weeds and the thorn, and of course Jesus refers to this as the riches and the pleasures of life. Does this connect with you, that perhaps the soil that you have, you recognize growth, you recognize there was seasons of growth, but then you also recognize there are these other things growing alongside of your faith that you've given a lot of attention to or that you've watered or you've been surprised to spring up alongside of it and it's choking out the strength of the faith that you once had or the desire for Jesus that you once had. Does that connect at all for you? And then there's the fourth soil. Soil the soil that's to stir us and move us. Verse 15, but as for that and the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. That's the soil we want to be and that Jesus is pushing us to desire. Now, the fascinating thing about this parable, again, to step back a little bit and look at it, is that the, 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 the way that time works in this parable is that there really isn't any time. To su- actually suggest that at any moment in our lives, we could be one of these soils. We could be good soil, but then all of a sudden things grow and then we could get choked out. We could be soil that's growing, but then we realize, oh, there are no roots, and so then it becomes, it withers and it, it, it gets scorched. Why does that matter? It matters because the parable wants us to constantly question the soil that we are. And the way that we know whether or not we are good soil is to look at the shape and the texture of our lives and the fruit that it produces. That's what tells us or shows us the type of soil that we are. So then we ask the question, so what type of soil are we? And to get at that answer, then, what type of fruit do you see in your life? Or perhaps you might ask a friend, what type of fruit do you see in my life? It better be a good friend who can tell you the truth in good and in hard, challenging ways. And so what type of soil are you? What type of soil am I? And perhaps to ask some more pointed questions to get at this, Here are three I want to ask. How do you hear? What gets in the way of your ability to hear? And then what are necessary conditions for hearing well? So first, how do you hear? These are questions the parable is wanting us to wrestle with. This parable is reading us. As we read it, and as we are convicted by it, as we're confused by it, it is showing us something about our lives and about who we are and about our ability or inability to listen. So how do you hear? How do you hear? That's the question. Are you somebody who wants to listen? Are you somebody who is desiring so fervently to be near to Jesus so that you hear his words, his stories, and then you gain Insight, interpretation, challenge, formation of what he's trying to do in your life. How do you hear? Is it something that you take time to do? To listen? To sit with yourself before God? And to wonder and to pray, and to think. How do you hear? Second, what gets in the way of your hearing? Again, to use the metaphors of the parable, do you feel like your faith is withering? Can you look back to a time when you said, oh man, I was so, I had so much excitement about following Jesus. I had so much fervor. But now, it doesn't seem like excitement. doesn't even seem like much challenge or interest. It was just something that's there alongside of me. Now, I'm not going to equate excitement or fervor with maturity. Don't hear me say that. Because when you're a Christian for a long period of time, certainly there are seasons where you think, this is one of the hardest things in the world. But the fact that it's hard and challenging says something about the faith that we have. Apathy, that should tell us something. A slow distancing from your faith, how you understand it, from the people around you, that should tell you something about whether or not your faith is withering. What's choking out your faith? And this is what I want to spend some time talking about, because as we think about listening and what gets in the way of our listening, my sense is if we've been Christians for a period of time, and following Jesus is something we desire to do and we, make, we take steps to do together as a community. Perhaps withering isn't so much the thing to be aware of, but it's the being choked out. There are so many things in 2022 that are wanting to choke out your faith. I started saying that we do not live in a neutral universe, that we do not live on neutral ground. And part of the reason for saying that is because you are being formed all the time, even if you don't know it. The question is, is what or whom is forming you? Your faith is always, always being formed towards something. And this parable is wanting us to to be questioning seriously, is it the word of God? the person of Jesus, the Word made flesh, who is forming us, or is it something else? And so here's a question, what's distracting you? What distracts you? What vies for your attention? When you're alone with yourself and your thoughts, where does your mind go? Perhaps it's ambition, actually good things. I think that's the thing that is the mode that it could be the most scary in terms of what could choke us out. Ambition a desire to do something, to make a mark, to do something of significance in the world. But that can become the very thing that chokes out our faith because our desire, our affections are no longer being formed or oriented toward Jesus but toward another thing. So maybe it's a good cause. There have been a lot of causes, good causes, especially over the last two years, that that have risen up, that we can be about and in our being about these causes can actually have our faith formed away from Jesus and towards something else. How are you being formed? What are you distracted by? What are the things vying for your affections, your, your desires, and your attention? Maybe it's just noise. Maybe it's just a simple fact of not having awareness or attention. When's the last time, when you were waiting in line at the grocery store, you had your head up? Not something in your hands that you're looking at, with a really bright screen and really cool apps, but you had your head up, looking, wondering, considering the image of God before you through all of these different faces and people. When's the last time when you were waiting for a friend who you thought may be standing you up for coffee because they're taking a really long time to get there, and you just waited. And you just sat there. Maybe thinking or reflecting on something or attending to the grief that is actually underneath so much of the way that we live or the lust, or the desire to cope. So maybe it's just the noise. So many sociologists talk about this time we live in as an attention economy. So we live in an economy of attention. People pay millions of dollars to know how to get your attention, billions of dollars. Where we give our attention, is the thing that people, corporations, really good, cool things, they want it. And they know how to get it. And so these are the distractions. These are the things that can get away. Where is your attention? I'm going to read this long quote from C.S. Lewis. From the screw tape letters. So, if you're not familiar with the screw tape letters, the screw tape letters is about this this um, conversation, this dialogue between between this this demon, uh, this this demon who's like in the higher echelon of of the demon place, hell, and then you have you have this this other lower demon, Wormwood, who's learning what it's like to be a demon and to actually try and distract or try and, and pull this person that he's been assigned to away from God. And in this correspondence, we see Uncle Screwtape writing to Wormwood, actually helping this demon recognize uh, what, what he can do or how he's doing well, actually, what he's doing. Now, if you're not familiar with the way this works, it can be a little bit confusing. So when Screw Tape refers to the enemy, he's actually talking about God. Because again, he is a demon referring to the enemy as God. And so keep that in mind when you're, when you're listening to this quote. But also keep in mind or try and locate yourself within it. It's really fascinating, and it totally did a number on me this week. So is this condition... Screwtape says, becomes more fully established. You will be gradually freed from the tiresome business of providing pleasures as temptations. As the uneasiness and his reluctance to face it cut him off more and more from all real happiness, and as habit renders the pleasures of vanity and excitement and flippancy at once less pleasant and harder to forego, for that is what habit fortunately does to a pleasure... You will find anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. Now listen and imagine or see if if you connect any of this. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do, or news feeds. You can make him waste his time, not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about, on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods of time. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering but staring at a dead fire in a cold room, or a bright screen of a device, or flipping through Netflix to figure out what you're going to watch next but can never find anything. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return, so that at last he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. The Christians describe the enemy as one without whom nothing is strong. And nothing is very strong, strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why, in the gratification of curiosities so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, in drumming of fingers and kicking of heels and whistling tunes that he does not like, or in the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that have not even lust or ambition to give them a relish but which, once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and too fuddled to shake off. Now, you'll say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Do you hear yourself in that? Do you hear yourself in living a life thinking about things you really don't care about for long periods of time? Do you think of or consider yourself wondering why it is I'm just scrolling again? I don't want to, I just can't help it. Are you a person who finds yourself wondering what it was you were just wondering about? Not really able to locate yourself, not even really able to locate what you care about. There's just this slow hum of life that you just do and you wonder or don't. What's going on? I love what I put on there, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. How are we we being edged out away from the light? How are you being edged out away from the light? What are the little things in your life that you give attention to that just over time the dial keeps clicking more and more towards those things and more and more away from the word of life that then all of a sudden you find your faith has withered or there are these things that have grown up alongside of it and your faith is being choked out. What are those for you? I think about this parable. I think about what C.S. Lewis wrote and I see myself in it. And it freaks me out. And that's what I mean, is we're not living in a neutral universe. We are being formed all the time towards something. And so that is the question that we need to be wrestling with, is what is forming you? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And if it is Jesus, how? How is he doing that? And if we don't have good answers for that, chances are it's something else. It's being edged out away from the light into the nothing. The blank space. The darkness. Where nothing seems to satisfy or fulfill. But we're always searching and we're always desiring. And so what's getting in the way of your hearing? What's moving the dial for you away from Jesus and towards something else? So the last question, what are the necessary conditions for hearing well? What are necessary conditions for healing hearing well? Dependence and attention are two I want to first talk about. A dependence and attention. These are necessary conditions to being people who listen well. Dependence. Dependence on the one whose seeds, whose word is the very life and substance we need. Dependence on that. And attention to it. Dependence and attention. Our faith lives or dies based on the amount of trust that we give toward the giver of life. Our trust and our dependence and our attention. So if you know you need the word, what is drawing your attention back to Jesus? If you know you need the word, what is drawing your attention back to Jesus? I have a friend a good friend who we talk about our practices, and one of the practices that he shared, he shared with me is he sets his watch, a timer on his watch every single hour. And every hour the watch beeps, buzzes, and it's a simple turn back to Jesus. And he says this doesn't work every time. Sometimes he looks at it and he just hits repeat for the next hour. But even that, thats and he talks about it, even that little acknowledgement of, of attention needing to be drawn toward Jesus is formative for his faith. And it draws his attention back to knowing what he's come from, whose he is, and that that is the life that he needs. So what's drawing your attention back to Jesus, I offer that to you as a practice of setting a timer for a certain amount of time that just pulls you back. I was trying to enter into some space of prayer this morning, and I was rehearsing two phrases um, for 20 minutes. Uh, The first phrase was, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. The second phrase was, perfect love casts out fear. Now, if those phrases are helpful for you, perhaps there are other passages in Scripture, maybe there's, a, there's something that you need to remember, you need to know, something that draws your attention. Set a timer. Have your attention drawn to Jesus. Pray a prayer. It doesn't have to be long. It can be an acknowledgement. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, thank you for being with me. What is drawing your attention back to Jesus? If you think about it, however long it would take you to do that, not even a minute, Imagine all of the other minutes in the day that are forming you in a different direction. I mean, all the time. Like, if you were to take an inventory of your life and the time you give to things, you should do that. It's actually kind of frightening. (laughs) Because it's like, wow, how much attention I'm not giving to the one who says he's life. So dependence and attention. Some other necessary conditions. Humility and confession. So dependence and attention, humility and confession. What do I mean by this? I mean to be humble enough to say I need, to tell Jesus that you need. Confession we need to be able to name to one another what is choking out our faith. If it's always possible that there are weeds growing up alongside of our faith. Always possible that our attention is being drawn to other places. Always possible that the riches, pleasures of life, whatever it might be, is choking out our faith. We need to confess that to our brothers and sisters. We need to name it. Maybe it's, maybe there are even doubts. Maybe there are even questions about your faith, struggles, whatever it might be. We need the, the humility to say, Jesus, I need but we also need to take the risk, have the courage, to confess with one another. What else is vying for your attention? So, how do you hear? How do you hear? What soil are you? What's getting in the way of your ability to hear well? And then how might you lean more into dependence and attention and humility and confession to maybe till the soil so that we might be able to receive the word, the life, the person of Jesus moving toward us. I hope you know that. That's the thing about the sower. The seeds have already been scattered recklessly. That's the type of God we serve. That's the type of God who loves us. The question for us is, how do we receive? How do we receive? How do we nourish? How do we grow? Or at least help ourselves be open to the growth that the Spirit wants to produce. So thanks be to the God who is the reckless sower whose seeds are scattered with utter abandon. And thanks be to the God who wants us to be the soil that is receptive to his transformation so that we might grow and bear fruit. Dave, if you want to come up, or the worship team can come up. So every other Sunday, there's an opportunity to be prayed for uh, to the left and to the right. People want to pray with you. They want to pray for you. Now, this is an opportunity to maybe lean into those Those few things I talked about, dependence and attention and humility and confession, to perhaps just pray, I want to be more dependent on the word of life that is Jesus in my life. Or I want to have a heart that is humble, to be open, to receive what Jesus has. So I'd love for you to stand, and those who are going to be praying can move to the sides. I'd love to encourage you to take advantage of this opportunity to experience the presence of Jesus.